beloved community and welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we explore what sacred Jewish and Christian texts have to teach us about healing, building relationships, practicing solidarity, and living into our ethics in the world we inhabit today that is so shaped by the project of empire, politics of domination, violence both spiritual and physical, and our spirited response to that oppression. The music you hear is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding, We Are Building Up a New World. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for this podcast. My name is Haven Heron, and I am here with you today for my first ever podcast with this project of Surge Faith, because I am curious how our sacred texts can be read as living, breathing tools of the here and now for white folks committed to collective liberation. I serve as the director of Soul Force, a 20-year-old LGBTQI organization dedicated to sabotaging Christian supremacy and reclaiming our spirits. I personally come to this work as a white person and artist and dancer and earth tender and seeker who knows that resistance to white supremacy is a significant part of healing my own soul. I'm recording this today from my home in Salem, Massachusetts. These are the original lands of the Naumkeag tribe. In that vein, I want to take a moment to honor the ancestors and spiritual keepers of this land and invite you to do the same. First, let's take a few deep breaths that clear out the clutter of our bellies, our hearts, and our minds. Now let's invite the ancestors of this land, your land, with gratitude and humility to accompany us in our work today if they so choose. Thank you, ancestors, for the graciousness to be here today and pursue justice together. I am eager to get to the lectionary, a juicy one for Pentecost on the theme of transcendence. But before we dig in, I want to make it plain that this podcast is designed for white people. Of course, I intend it to be transparent and open to all. It is not a white space per se. But I want to be explicit about my responsibility to show up for and with other white folks to learn and act in coordinated resistance to white supremacy. We welcome your feedback, and especially feedback from an accountability to listeners of color. so many good options from the lectionary today, so I want to focus on Acts 2, 1-21, Ezekiel 37, 1-14, and John 16, 4-15. Beginning with the book of John, we come upon a scene where Jesus is giving his parting words to his disciples, explaining that they must experience the deep grief of losing their leader and friend in order to receive new wisdom that transcends the old definitions of sin and righteousness and judgment. He pairs the description of what must be released with the description of what is promised. In short, 
The Holy Spirit will return and help us forfeit all our old, tired, and rigid notions of what is right or superior, and we will gain fresh insight and life. A rebirth through loss. It's a promise of something so new and wondrous it will animate us and rewrite our stories to the core. But first they, we, must pass through a portal that feels irrational, painful, and even counterintuitive. I own one Bible, and it is the Bible that went on the road with me over a decade for the Soul Force Equality Ride, a project that visited about 100 conservative Christian universities. I had 50 or so of those color-coded tabs on my Bible, but only one was pink, and it was this exact passage from John, because it's like a great cosmic finger lovingly wagging in my face, saying, uh-uh-uh, you think you know, but you do not. You will learn what you need to know about what is true and good and just, but it will not only come from your head. You must transcend the unknowings and strictures of your mind. You must go through deep, full body and full spirit experiences in order to really appreciate this human condition and its relationship to the divine. The text was great for when conversations on those campuses got stuck at the level of back and forth debate because it invited us back into a place of wonder and presence with each other rather than sparring from our brains on the merits of various ongoing biblical arguments on race, gender, and sexuality. To me, it feels like there are a few lessons about loss for the purpose of our resistance work in this passage. The first is about loss of comfort. Sometimes the confidence of knowing is one and the same with ignorance, as both keep us from experiencing spiritual and moral growth in a full-bodied, beyond-the-rational, in-the-moment way. God is calling us to transcend our grasp on what feels safe in order to become more fully alive. The second story of loss is one of letting go of knowing, of being officially good and right. Of all the things that Jesus could promise will be illuminated by the return of the Holy Spirit, he focuses on disrupting stable concepts of sin and righteousness that can create staid judges out of us. Some of the most sacred wisdom and the state of wonder that keeps us more engaged in direct relationship with divine purpose might only come through the loss of ideas, creature comforts, and privileges that keep us calcified. It can be a struggle to balance gathering in all the information we need in order to contribute robustly to the work of resistance with being physically and spiritually present. But John 16 reminds us of the danger of striving to achieve a state of capital R rightness or performing correctness. If I've got the answer, I can stop growing. I won't need a dynamic understanding of justice or sin when I have codified righteousness. Finding ways to return to that state of wonder, of allowing the Holy Spirit to come wag its finger in our face seems key. I feel from this passage an encouragement to learn from a place of curiosity rather than aiming to achieve formal competency, and to do so not only through mental work, but through ways of knowing that are more centered in spirit, emotion, and the body. I love the highs and lows of this text. I can almost taste it, so stringent and so sweet at the same time. Trust the wildness of your grief, it says. Trust that loss is a part of evolving. Trust that justice can spring forth without each of us serving as prosecutor or judge. And that brings us to Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. 
where God instructs Ezekiel to preach life into a valley of dry bones, where those bones represent not only the struggles of the Jews, but also the potential energy of God in every facet of creation, especially when it seems most dubious. You can see in your mind's eye Ezekiel giving God a diplomatic yet skeptical sideways look. Talk to these ancient dusty bones? Interesting to me, God specifically uses the word prophesy. Ezekiel is asked to place his mind on hold and use his whole being to transmit a message from God. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel probably felt a little foolish, but I like the character I see in him in this moment. With the smallest nugget of hope, he engaged in the improbable. He agreed to do God's bidding, perhaps not so much because he knew he could change the bones or the world that causes so much suffering and death, but so that he himself would not be changed. That was his moment to become a doubter, a skeptic, a mourner over the dead bones and imprisoned land of Israel, or to be the kind of person who believes in the impossible, leaves a small gap for the miraculous, and allows space for the as yet intangible. Pentecost is a season of first harvest, the young plants that come forth and promise new life after hunger and doubt. This morning I was reminded of that principle as I walked my dog out to the back patch of shrubs and scrappy trees behind my house, all planted in haste as winter came in December and they started to rent out the apartments in the building I live in. These tenuous little shrubs, I have been watching over them for months, talking to them and cheering them on, but mostly thinking they were already dead. This morning, the tiniest of green leaves were peeking out of all the branches, and I tell you, it felt like magic. 6 a.m., and there I am in my pajamas, punching a fist in the air and crowing my joy for what a good job they've done. It's not quite Ezekiel-level transcendence, but the hunger and joy come from the same root. Where there was no hope, no pulse, no flesh, something alive and fierce came forth. Oof, I love the rush of it. Some call that quickening God in action. Some call it a blessing. Some call it magic. It's amazing how something so small as a tiny leaf can feel so big in its act of transcendence. That tenacity and yearning feel like the pulse of life which points toward God. Small moments like that make me want to fight so hard for life. More life. Abundant life for all of us. This, to me, is the essence of Pentecost, the giddy hunger to feel porous, unconstrained by the edges of our skin and the limits of our mind, so that we can be wowed again by something utterly new, to have our I know knocked on its ass to make room for the I feel and I dream. Ezekiel models a kind of practice and trust that is good counsel to folks who are engaged in resistance work. Practicing trust in ourselves and in each other. Speaking up, even when we doubt we have the right words or the best answer. Claiming an ambitious goal or voicing a desire for a different kind of world, as improbable as it may seem, 
because we trust ourselves enough to speak honestly and plainly. Collective liberation doesn't need us to be perfect or see the end game before we begin. It needs us to cultivate trust, act earnestly without perfectly calculated results, and be vulnerable from a convicted place that the next harvest can and will come. Which brings us to our final reading, Acts 2, 1 through 21. The fires of the Holy Spirit visit scores of people, inspiring them to speak with rightest joy the prophecies from God. And they are shocked at their ability to communicate with each other and to be in community. Now first, I want to say here that this is a really complicated two-sided coin of a text. On one side, there is an intense anti-Jewish sentiment in this passage that focuses on the separation of Christians from Jews and sidelines the reality that Jews were still waiting for the restoration and healing of their land and people. That must be named in order to honestly engage with this text. And on the other side, we again have a miraculous encounter with the Holy Spirit. The people are filled with prophecy and proclamations. They are excited about the comfort of hearing the words of God in their own languages, combined with the wildness of such camaraderie among diverse peoples. That difference is a source of joy and learning rather than a cause of strife or mistrust. A new day indeed made possible by the transcendence of language and the physical and tribal and moral distance we can create by the meaning we assign to difference. It's a kind of distance that is not for truly needed protection, but for the maintenance of fear. That fear must be understood and unpacked and exposed to curative sunlight, because that is exactly the kind of fear that is stoked by the project of white supremacy in order to enable its continued existence. Acts calls us to bridge the distance, not by giving up our position and coming to some neutral middle ground, but through neutralizing fear. Among each other within our coordinated resistance work and with people who are actively upholding white supremacy. Both the Jewish and Christian traditions celebrate this day in their calendar. For Jews, it is Shavuot, the festival of weeks, a harvest festival that arrives with the first wheat and first fruits. For Christians, it is a celebration of new evangelism, when many people join the faith to spread the word of spiritual and physical renewal. Threaded throughout each of these texts in the lectionary today is the importance of being deeply connected, how transcending our minds and getting into our bodies and hearts positions us for new learning and spiritual growth. Both Shavuot and Pentecost have at their heart an orientation towards hope and a stake in the principle of where there is God, life transcends what appears to be dry bones into luscious, fertile life. Next, I will discuss some ideas for taking actions, large and small, in your daily life that put into practice this spirit of Pentecost. Pentecost is speaking to me in the gleeful whisper of tender young plants and fresh new life soaring on the currents of the Holy Spirit. So my suggestions for taking action this week are going to perhaps be a little tender and intimate compared to other weeks. 
It's a time of joy and replenishment, and I hope for you to take time for sharing in that care and delight. My first encouragement, based on the reading from John, is to go experience something with your whole body and spirit. Remember how to feel all over, especially because fear likes to put us into a mode of vigilance. Share in some new music. Go out into nature. Attend a city planning meeting to peer behind the curtain of power in your town. Enjoy a cultural event you haven't experienced before. Practicing vulnerability and seeking the joy of wonder puts us into a state of openness, and that is where we can make new connections and create belonging for ourselves. And where we have belonging, we can cultivate the critical community that is the stuff of movements. From Ezekiel, I hope we can be inspired to lean into and past doubt. Doubt that the conversation with your family member about white supremacy will go well. Doubt that your voice or vision influence your local organizing community. Be brave and be counted. We don't have to know right now whether the bones will take flesh, but even accepting the task of trying to create new life enlivens our own spirits. My final suggestion, which might seem silly as it is so obviously suggested by the text of Acts, is to explore where you might practice transcending communication barriers. Is there a place in your organizing life where you can practice language justice by making sure that your photos have descriptions or your videos have captions or your materials can be translated? I will include links in the transcript to a few groups, Antenna, The Body is Not an Apology, and Let's Erase the Stigma, that have wonderful readings on how you can incorporate language justice into your institutions and organizing. Organizing work that is more accessible across ability, culture, and language is so much more joyful in a way that I think our readings today speak to. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. We'll be posting up the next podcast by May 22nd for the continuing conversation on Pentecost. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search for The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. And a special thanks to our sound editor, Max, today. I wish you joyful renewal and a sense of wonder today and every day. Please take the time to replenish yourself because we need all of us for the work of resistance and liberation. Yeah.